You can see my award-winning climate comedy show spoilers at a festival near you, provided you live near or are going to McHuncliffe or Wells Comedy Festivals. More dates added soon near you, conceivably, who knows what might happen. And if you are at Mac, come and see ComCom Redacted live at 4pm on the Saturday. Go to stuartgoldsmith.com and click the very attractive banner image to find out more. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This is a podcast from comedianscomedian.com. This is the Comedian's Comedian podcast. Hello and welcome to the show. I'm Stuart Goldsmith. Uh, This is Justin Morehouse. Before we get into the interview, I'm just going to give you one uh, more reminder about the Edinburgh shows I'm doing. Uh, If you're in the UK, if you're up at the Edinburgh Festival, you can come and see the Comedians Comedian podcast live starting this Sunday, the 16th of August with Catherine Ryan. Uh, The 17th of August is John Lloyd. And the 18th of August is Tommy Tiernan. Those are the first three. And you can look online at comedianscomedian.com or follow me at ComComPod uh, for more information about the forthcoming guests. These are all free shows. So do come along to one of those uh, from the 16th until the end of the festival, uh, not on the 19th, because I shall be having my much valued day off uh, from the carnage of the fringe. Um, so uh, you can f- come and see them at uh, Black Medicine, which is uh, a venue at the corner of Nicholson Street and Drummond Street, and it's on PBH's Free Fringe. So come at ten fifty-five p.m. They're free shows, no need to book, but turn up early because I, I sort of, I'm hoping and expecting with guests of this caliber they'll be fairly rammed, especially because they're free. It's the Free Fringe. Bring money. Here's Justin Morehouse. <laughs> You're going to Edinburgh this year? Yep. Go on, tell us about that. What's your, where are you in the life of your show at the moment? That's a, as good a way to start as any other. Uh, I'm at my favourite point in the year, completely. Go on. This is my favourite. This is this month, July. It's my favourite month. It's better than Edinburgh. Better than August. <laughs> okay. Because, well, because the stuff's made. Because the stuff's made. My show is kind of... Um, I've got enough jokes and enough stories and I've got enough filler for the show... And now I'm sculpting. And um, before we went on air, you said, if I ever was going to say this might sound pretentious, yeah. just say it. But it does sound a bit pretentious, but it, it is now. I feel like there's a massive big rock of a show there. And I'm just, like a sculptor would say, I'm just trying to find it, mm-hmm. you know. So, um, yeah, it's my favourite time of the year. The sun's out. Well, it's a bit rainy the minute. But uh, the sun shines, late nights are light. I tend to kind of do my previews across the M62 corridor. Okay. So from across Leeds, across to, to Liverpool, and you know above and beyond that, I don't really go to London that often. Okay. I mean, because the, what the majority of the work is done. Right. So my show, which I've been writing in my head and on stage and in clubs for the last twelve months. Twelve months. So you yes. start as soon as Last Edinburgh's finished. Even before, because Last Edinburgh was kind of an amalgam of uh, of a couple of things, but um, ideas that I've been jotting down for the last. 
12 months up to this point, I was, I was thinking about my, I was thinking about this show in Edinburgh last year. Because I had not been to Edinburgh for two or three years and I kind of went back last year, not with the best of show, but with a kind of really clubbable, this is what I've been doing for the last couple of years. I've been on tour with the majority of it. You know, it was the best of, it was the best of the last two years, two hours. Even though I've not been to Edinburgh, I write an hour every year. Every year I'll write a brand new hour. Okay. Whether you go or not. Yeah, at least, yeah. Okay. Um, And I I see some sort of like look in your eyes that goes, oh, that's quite uh, productive. But that's because I'm a performer rather than a writer. So my stuff gets elongated and gets very woolly. So it becomes an hour and really most people said it's only been 25 minutes written. Yes, okay, okay. I can I completely see where you come from yeah. in terms of how, yeah, absolutely. It, 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 uh, it grows a lot on stage. Yeah, oh, yeah, it does. Yeah, it becomes, yeah, yeah, yes, really. Uh, so, and I'll obviously, I'll compare lots of it into the show and I'll, anyway, so this is my favourite time of the year because I know the show, and especially, and this is a pre-August confident. <laughs> yeah, so we've all got it, that's fine. You're among friends. <laughs> but I know this show is my best work yet. Great. And I know I'm as good as a comedian as I've ever been. And I know that I'm getting better. So I'm chuffed and I'm enjoying it. What sorts of things are you recognising in your show that makes you confident that it's your best one? What is that? What, what, what is that? When you, when, what is it that you know when you know that this is your best show? Well... Not so much the best show I'm on about me as a comedian and where I'm at in the, the scheme of things. I've been a comedian for 15 years. When I started out, I was a jolly JP fat funster and I would do jokes about Greg's and single parents and whatever was in the news and that sort of thing. And that was kind of like... And I would laugh at anybody because I could laugh at myself, so that was fine. And I would kid myself that all my jokes were self-deprecating, so it didn't matter. And then I've kind of like, as I've got older and thought about it more, I have actually, over the last two or three years, started thinking about how do I feel about this? You know, what do I want to say about this? And, um, and that very simple thing of, of, of punching up and not punching down. And there are a couple of moments in this show where I completely, I think, wrong-step the audience and convince them that I'm right about something. Okay. I don't, I'd love to hear an example. I don't want you to give anything away that you'd rather well, I can, I can kind of kind of, it's because the, it's the, because the enjoyment of the routine is in the performance rather than the message. But I, I, there is an, a, a, there is a, an, um, I allude in, within the show that I may want to have sex with an 89 year old woman. Okay. <laughs> and what I do is I, they audio, I, I ask the audience, are they making that assumption? And they, by and large, are. And I challenged, I challenged the, I challenge what's wrong with that. Okay. I say, what is wrong with that? She's an 89-year-old woman. You know, and I say, if she likes cock, she likes cock, and that's it. And then I challenge the audience, and I think that when I explain how I think about that, then I bring, I think I, conv- I, think I convince them to the point where I ask them sometimes. Sure. Okay. You know? Okay. That, I mean, that... that <laughs> and the argument I use is, is that many comedians, myself included, will do jokes about um, paedophilia. Yeah. And um, whilst, of course, I believe that we can talk about anything on stage, are you saying to me you find it easy to laugh at, and I would never say this phrase on stage because it's horrific, child rape, mm-hmm. than the love of an 89-year-old and an overweight 45-year-old fat bloke? What, what's the difference for you? It's, uh, what I want to zero in on is this idea of, uh, of punching, you know, punching up or punching down. Yeah. I think we've, we both know what we mean by that, but I, I guess... 
Uh, for people not familiar with that concept, the idea being that the it's the role of the comedian or can be the role of the comedian to sort of speak truth to power or kind of attack yeah. who's sort of socially above you or and also, who has the power. And also because, because I am completely obsessed uh, with certain comedians uh, at the moment and love their work a lot, namely Louis C.K. and Bill Burr and these kind uh-huh. of people, that they the one thing they've made, made me realise, not only are they very, very funny... He's like, I'm actually quite a privileged person, you know. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm a white man living in Britain, you know, <laughs> in a house and I've got a family and a dog and, you know, and all those sorts of things. So it's very easy for me to 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 go 100 yards down the road and find somebody who doesn't have as much fun in life as I do. And I have done jokes about that and laughed at those people and it kind of makes me feel awkward. I'm really glad you've brought that up because I have to say, in looking at some of the clips of yours that are online, your three main clips, you've got the Apollo, Dave and the, the uh, Roadshow clips. Yeah. You've got some stuff about, um, basically about fat women. Yeah. You've got some stuff about, um, you know, people with, I think the line was something like legging, people who get leggings on prescription. Yeah. And it's really funny stuff. And the audience are really loving it, yeah. and you're doing it very well. But I, part of me did kind of go, oh, I mean, you're sort of, sort of making fun of women for being fat. Is that the sort of thing that you're talking about? And then I would then excuse that, then at that time, by going, well, I also made jokes about me being fat, but that didn't make the edit. Okay. And, you know. And okay. And do you think, do you, did you at the time, and do you now think that's enough of an excuse? No, no, I don't. This isn't, uh, and this isn't like some kind of like road to Damascus moment it's it's about growing as a person as well and, and becoming older and and I talked to Rob Rouse about this quite a lot because me and him are very similar in age and sort of demographic and uh, and it's becoming it's becoming the dad of a girl I was going to ask whether that might have had something it, to do with you it know, that's interesting it really has and it's really made me check check myself about the things that I what I say is not always what I mean did you believe at the time when you were doing that stuff? Did was, you believe that the fact of your own your jokes about your own weight was that enough of an? Do you look back at that that kind of reasoning and go, oh, I, "I probably knew it wasn't okay," or do you think that at the time you were like, "Nope, I've, I've made that decision and that's it's all good"? I don't know. It's very hard to think now, isn't it? What you thought at the time? Because um, I feel so awkward about this. Imagine if I was like, if you'd uncovered some like me bl- <laughs> blacking up. <laughs> <laughs> Next but, week on the show. <laughs> yeah, yeah and so I appreciate you feel awkward about it, but I think no, it's no, really I, interesting. I, I'm glad, to, I'm to glad be you're asking about. me. I'm glad I think it's therapeutic. I, I do. And um, no, I remember ages ago um, when I used to care about these things, somebody had written on a forum about me something about picking on the disabled and the single parents, you know, how, how you know, crap that is and I thought well I'm not really picking on the disabled as such and then I thought well I have done and then it wasn't like single mothers it was just I was just jumping on that bandwagon that everybody was and I was probably as bad as anybody who makes Benefit Street or you know yeah. that kind of thing and it's kind of and it was easy stuff that's the answer and, there, and at the end of the day I, well, did, well here's, here's a question then I'll, I'll phrase this as a question rather than a statement do you think that the job of making in, that, in, the, in those TV gigs in that example there's hundreds of people the big big rooms the job of making big rooms of people laugh is that is there some element to it whereby that's so difficult you're allowed to do anything there's something that was, 
I don't know quite that's completely, not what I, mean. I will 100% disagree with you on that because actually, when you have the privilege of, of millions of people watching on television and 2,000 people in a room ready to laugh, then you shouldn't be doing the easy stuff, you should be doing the hard stuff. Well, yeah, I agree, I absolutely agree, but I think, um, you know the way that some, that like a, an MC, like a strong club MC, will have a certain amount of stock gear? I mean, for me, it's always that, you know, I used to do street performing, <laughs> ding, take a drink now, um, but I... I remember at the time feeling like the, the simple fact of pulling off a street show was so difficult that it, it wasn't really that, that much of a crime if I used a bit of stock. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And like when someone's emceeing a comedy club, when you've got to hold the night on your shoulders to make it right for the acts, yeah. I think that's why a lot more stuff becomes stock or generic or stolen or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. I, I think that's part of the reason it becomes more, more sort of allowable when yeah. you're the MC, because the job is, is harder. And I wonder whether that, whether that sort of thinking factors in, like when you're on telly and it's got to work, is there some, some underlying thing whereby this has to work and it's hard to make a big group of people laugh. And if I can make a big group of people laugh by doing a joke about Greg's or whatever, you know, something, hitting those, those yeah. notes. I'm not levelling this accusation no, at no, you, no, but, no, I'm saying, but in, a, in, a, in a, a kind of a wider context of, of club comedy... I'm just wondering whether those, like the first person to have come up independently with a joke about Greg's, who then got a laugh at, must have been like, I'm onto a winner here. Yeah. And then there's something about the fact that it's kind of obvious, so lots of people come up with it, and there's something about the fact that you see other comics doing it and you think, oh right, we're all talking about this, it's fine. But then you also see our audiences rolling in the, in the aisles about it. They laugh, absolutely right. And, That's kind of what... And let's be, honest I mean. with you. Let's, let's be honest with you, let's be honest with you, I am an overweight, working-class northern man. Of course I'm going to talk about Greg's. Talk about what you know, you yeah, know. Yeah. I, and I did, you know, and I would go to Greg's. So why not talk about that? I think that... Right, I, there's a couple of things I want to say whilst we're on this subject, if I may. You've got to put those uh, examples of what you've seen on TV into context over time as well. So, like, the stuff that I did about... Um, so, I can't remember. Have you, got, have you, have you researched and got the... Uh, yeah, I watched them on the way up. Yeah. yeah. So, they were, you know, I did McIntyre about five or six years ago. Yeah, you, five you years can ago. date it because you often mention the age of your children. So, yeah. I, was like, <laughs> I was like, oh, that's then, that's then. And yeah. the comedy store clips are probably two or three years before that mm. even. You know, and I was a bit... Um, Paul at the Laughter House, who I love. I love the Laughter House gig. It's my favourite comedy room in Britain. Fantastic room. She put a clip up the other day to try and flog my show there in, in October. And she put a clip of me at the comedy store in about 2001 or something like mm. that. Because I talked about my son, who's now 18, <laughs> asking about why uh, Britney had shaved. Mm. <laughs> so you think, oh my God. Yeah, okay, that dates. Uh, and it does. And so you think, well, that stuff lives forever. You know, that's on there forever. And you've got to, you've got to stand by that. You've got to say, I said that at that time, you know. But people could change, you know. You, you know, you, I haven't done a lot of television. But the bits that I've done have been at, at certain times. So mm-hmm. I think when we all look back ten years ago, we'd be happy with what we're doing now than what we were doing then. Absolutely. I'm glad I'm I'm glad that I'm happy with what I'm doing now than I was doing then. Because otherwise you've gone backwards and then otherwise you're name redacted. <laughs> <laughs> I get I get told off by my listeners whenever people do that because I, I want to go, oh, tell me after. But uh, we I haven't go. actually got anybody in mind, but I can think of ten now. Is your is your persona on stage something that you need to safeguard? Is your persona... I, I tell you what, I'm, I'm thinking of a specific joke. And again, it'll be a joke from a, from a little while ago. But you had a line about um, 
Uh, acid flashback. It's a great joke. Yeah, acid flashbacks. Uh, the nearest I get to that is a bit of uh, acid reflux or something. The closest I get to a flat, uh, somehow I'll do drugs and I don't have flashbacks. Close I get to a, close I get to a um, acid flashbacks to get a touch of reflux. A touch of reflux. That was yeah. a phrase. Lovely, lovely line. Yeah. It made me think at the time. I thought. I wonder if you ever have actually done acid and you're pretending that you never have because it wouldn't make sense for your persona to have done acid. Yeah, are you asking me if I've done acid? Yeah, uh, I've done acid. I've yeah. Done, yeah, I, I not, not because I care about whether or not you take drugs, but just you, see, why, you see the, the thing... i tell you why I would at. never talk about drugs, and this is really interesting, I think, because we were saying before about um, Greg's, and that's an easy subject, I'd never talk about cannabis on stage again. Yeah. I did it once, right? <laughs> Um, I had this routine, which is a true story about going to Amsterdam. Um, I got stoned quite quickly, like, you know, like every 31-year-old comedian at the time was talking about. And I ended up, it's a true story, I ended up stuck on a wall and just being there for ages. And it was, you know, jokes, 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 quite mm-hmm. funny. And then um, Steve Bennett and Chortle, who I don't mind, you know. I, you know, a lot of people have a problem with him. I mm-hmm. think he's all right. I think he's just a nerd, you know, and he... <laughs> Loves comedy. If he wasn't doing it, nobody else would be. And I think, mm-hmm. I think the good outweighs the the bad when it's Chortle. Not not the good outweighs the bad Steve Bennett. I mean, Chortle has got its flaws and its faults. Anyway, he reviewed me and he said, like most of you that I am uh, funny, funny, funny. However, I'm slightly unoriginal. For example, routine about Amsterdam throws nothing up new sort of stuff. So you, you so you do take that on board as a criticism, and you go, all right, fair enough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Stopped doing it because I felt, all right, maybe, you know, maybe. Last week, watching, I think, the latest Louis C.K. video, more or less, word for word, the same routine. Okay. (laughs) You know? Yeah. Uh, The premise being that he was a middle-aged man who was smoking cannabis again for the first time in a long time, didn't realise it's now genetically modified, it's super skunk, smokes Mm -hmm. too fast, and he's just out of it. He I've, does and I've heard other comics on the circuit yeah. effectively tell that same yeah. routine. Yeah. And and he does it with, with more grace and, uh, you know, with his, you know, he's a better comedian than I am, certainly than I was in 2001. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that <sounds> slightly <laughs> But he is, he is, you know, and he's got, he's also got that, that, that audience and that everything else that goes with it, so he can get away with that. Yeah. And it just made me think, oh, you know... Should have stuck to what I believed in, really. Yeah, you know, I should have just, you know, gone, you know, I should do that. I should, I should have just. That's mine. That's that's that. That was, was good. But you move on. I mean, I look back now. I've written twenty five hours of comedy probably in my career. You know, stuff that I've forgotten about. Generally, people have come up to me at gigs and gone, "I'll oh, do that stuff you do about that," and I go, "Oh yeah, you know, yeah, you know." And I used to write quite topically as well. I used, okay. do, I used to do a show in the Manchester Comedy Store called Men at Work, which is similar to the Cutting Edge. So a lot of stuff would be topical. It would spin off from that and become routines. Then even the best topical routines, even if you can ground them, they'll still, within a couple of years, when you're going, do you remember? Mm. <laughs> you know? mm. and another election will come around in four years. You'll be fine. You can redo it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, but so just to, we'll get onto the writing in a moment. But just in terms of in terms of your persona, who do you think they see? I think I'm a. I think I'm a version of myself on stage. I'm the performing Justin. I'm. Uh, I'm actually thinking about that quite a bit at the moment. I don't think it's. I don't think it's impossible to, to change your persona. I think it's fine. You can do that. There's a couple of things that I'm doing in Edinburgh. There's a couple of things that I'm doing for Edinburgh, which um, 
might may be relevant. I've got a director for the first time, mm-hmm. and I particularly chosen this director because she's a woman, because she's the same age as me, and she's not from the world of stand-up comedy, but she's from the world of theatre. One, one or two other things, and specific brief that she's got is that I, I'm saying, listen, am I being, you know, at any point in this show, I do, I don't want to be uh, misogynistic. Okay, you know, I don't want to be punching down. I don't want to be boorish. You know, because that stuff comes easy, I think. To you? Maybe it's because that's why I am. <laughs> but, but I don't I mean, think it's I a am. Fairly, it's a fairly interesting idea. It's like, in order to make sure I'm not misogynistic, I've specifically hired a female director. Like, how worried about it were you? <laughs> oh, sorry, I didn't mean it. I didn't mean that. I meant, no, I've hired her specifically because she's female. She's the same age as me and she's not in comedy. I've gone for an opposite point of view. Yes, I understand. That's yeah, what yeah. I've gone for. I've yeah. not, I've not gone. To, I've not gone for a quota. No, no, no. You know, I understand. I, I've gone for the opposite. I've gone for the, uh, the as similar as I can be, but opposite me in many ways. Yes. Okay. She's from the world of theatre, and I don't know her very well. She's not involved in stand-up comedy. She doesn't know about that world. So it's it's an interesting choice. Yeah, I because think. ultimately, she she I guess would represent the point of view of an audience rather more than someone who knows all about stand-up. And she also performs, she's a performer as well, mm-hmm. so she can, that sort of thing. And also, it's not just that I've asked her about. I've asked her about, um, you know, all the way through the show, we're asking ourselves that, uh, the question, is this satisfying? Okay. You know, is the show satisfying? Is that routine satisfying? That, does that need to be there? Is that, does that fit in with the rest of the show? Is, that, is there a point to that, you know, part of that show? And, and is that because you have done previous work that you found yourself thinking maybe that wasn't satisfying? Yeah. Or maybe that bit didn't have a point. Yeah. So yeah. you're that's really interesting that you're at a, you're at a time at the moment where you're like you're trying to tackle what you perceive to have been the problems of the last however many hours. Uh not problems, but how do I improve? Okay. You know, um yeah, how do I improve as a comedian? That's what I've thought about for the last 3 or 4 years. You know, how do I get better as a comedian? Um you could say, you know, you know, we're going to get right, delve into it, you know, psychoanalyze things. You know, several of my friends, uh, that's my director just said, coming text. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Several of my friends over the last four or five years have become uh, more successful than they were beforehand. Uh, Namely, Jason Manford and John Bishop, who are really close friends, you know, very, very good friends. And it would be, it would be accurate for me to say that there haven't been times when I've gone, why not it me? You know? Sure. You know, and it's about keeping that in check. And it's, uh, about, okay. it's about using that healthily. Yes. Do you know what I mean? Yes, absolutely. I think I know what you mean, yeah. I am in no way at all jealous of their success. I'm envious of their opportunity. Yes. And rather than stomp around being envious of it, you're doing that very... What can st- I do? Yeah, well, what you can do is you can... Uh, there's, there's an Alan Cochrane phrase, you can control the controllables. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. one thing you can do is use that energy to try and get better rather than use that negatively. Yeah. Well, that's I, really inspiring. And I'm glad, I'm glad that you mentioned Alan because um, I know you're good friends with him and since he moved to Manchester, I've sort of taken over as his best mate. And... <laughs> And we spend a lot of time together. You know, we walk our dogs together and right, sort right. of like go for coffees and, and he, he, you know, I listen to his laconic wit. And uh, he's he's incredibly um, 
he's incredibly motivational. Yes, he is, yes. And you wouldn't think that about him. You'd think he's a dour Yorkshireman who's yep. just like... But he is, and he's very, very good at that. And I think we, I think we're good pals. And I, I you know, I, I think, you know, I nearly said I love him a lot. <laughs> I nearly went <laughs> very theatrical, but I think he's great. And I think, you know, he's right. And we've talked about this sort of thing. And you know, you you, you could be, you know, wow, you know, why am I not on the TV? Why am I not selling arenas? Why am I not doing this thing? And you just go, well, what do you want? You know, I have a nice life. I have a good life. Sean Percival, right, is... I, I don't know if anyone's ever quoted this to you before. Go on. I, he comes up from time to time. Yeah, somebody would say to Sean Percival... Uh, and say, I've been in this company where they've gone, what would you do if you make it? And he goes, mate, I work three days a week and more often than not, I get to the pub for last orders. Yeah. I used to be a welder. I've made it. Yeah. You know? And that's how I feel. That's like genuinely how I feel. For 29 years of my life, I was lost. Just wandered, didn't know what I was going to be. I'd, I had 30 jobs before I was 29. I did all sorts of stuff, stuff that I'm not proud of, stuff that I am proud of. I had, you know, I, I was homeless for a period of time. You know, there's lots of things that have happened to me in my life. And then when I found comedy, it was like, changed my life. So this is Justin. Very kind of him to uh, to pick me up from the station in his lovely car and drive me back to his equally lovely house uh, where we sat, as you can hear, for the first part of this interview. Uh, we sat outside until uh, that, that became impossible. Uh, such a nice guy, Justin. So, so lovely to talk to him. A terrific comedian. And uh, as you'll have heard, right off the bat, we got into some fairly sticky stuff. Uh, and he was very, very candid. That's all I ask from my guests. Uh, you know, this show isn't, it's not about PR. It's about the real, the meat and the bones of what's going on in comedy and, and people's approach to it. So more from Justin in just a moment. Uh, I mentioned you before, the Edinburgh Festival live shows happening at Black Medicine uh, at 10.55pm from the 16th with Catherine Ryan, John Lloyd and Tommy Tiernan. Other guests will include Joel Domit, Daniel Sloss, Ronnie Cheng, Ashling B, Jason Byrne and a few others besides uh, that I'm just locking down and, uh, and sorting out exactly which date they're on. Uh, will Durst is going to be on as well on the uh, on the 20th. Can't wait for that. Uh, he's a, a stand-up comedian who's performing. He's 63, I believe. He's been performing for years and years and years in the States and all over the world. Uh, I saw his show. It's terrific and just so refreshing and, and invigorating to hear someone do observational stand-up comedy about what it's like being in your 60s. It's just such a great show. So plenty of that stuff coming up. Do come and see my own show as well if you're coming up to the festival at any point. Um, my show is called An Hour, and it's at 4.55pm at Cannons Gate. Both of these shows are on PBH's uh, Peter Buckley Hill's Free Fringe, which means that uh, you don't need to pay to get in, dot, dot, dot. So uh, come along to one or both of those shows. It would be lovely to see you there. Thank you to all of the uh, the pod fans, all of you gang, uh, who've been coming along and supporting the show. I've been getting loads of people in uh, who are coming out of the show and uh, telling me that, uh, that they're huge fans of the podcast. That's great. It puts an absolute spring in my step. I have to be honest, it's my 21st Fringe, and this is the most fun one I've done as a stand-up comedian. I, you can't count the street performing ones, because that was just faffing about town like a rock star, making loads of cash, whereas this is a little bit more like, oh no, I've got to make the donations so I can afford to pay for the PR and the accommodation and uh, every all the other myriad things that uh, that make up the Edinburgh experience. So, uh, but certainly since I became a comic, this has to be my most fun fringe yet. I'm having a whale of a time. And listen, I won't. I'm not going to mention any names here, but um, 
Uh, I've been passed two or three notes and cards. Some of you are congratulating me on my impending new arrival. As you might have uh, heard, myself and my partner are pregnant. I'm not allowed to say that. Someone had a huge go at me for saying we're pregnant. Which does, I admit, now in the cold light of day seem like a fairly wanky, pretentious way of describing it. But what I'm trying to do is in- include myself in the process. I don't want to go like, she's pregnant, because I'm, I'm trying to take responsibility for it myself. Although, obviously, I won't have to, to carry the little, the little um, legend. So, uh, <laughs> so, fine, fair enough. That's one of those kind of weasel words that people still have these days. It's 2015, and I'm not permitted to say we're pregnant. So, she, my partner, is pregnant, and I, we are staggeringly excited about it. Um, One of us even more so, because we don't have to carry it around. (laughs) Not yet. I'm sure I'll make up for that in time. Um, So, some of you have been very kindly uh, coming to see the show and dropping off little cards and notes and things like that in the bucket at the end of the, uh, uh, the performance. So, thank you very much for that. And I got a particular letter, and I won't say the name of who it's from, but um, it was in a pink envelope, and it says it had something cool written on it on the front. Thank you so much for your letter, mysterious person. Um, I really, really appreciated it. I uh, I read it, and I have to say I slightly teared up, and I'm thrilled that the podcast is making a difference to your life in that kind of a way. Thank you very much, and thank you to all of you. Uh, if you come to one of the live shows, you can donate there. I'm collecting the merch today. We have ComComPod merch on the way. We've got both uh, Com Compod Access No Areas Laminates, and uh, we've also got some T-shirts as well. So come along to the live shows. You can donate to the show and probably pick up some sweet merch as well. Um, if you would like to donate, if you're listening online somewhere other than the Edinburgh Festival, and let's let's not forget, it's easy to forget that there is an entire world out there that isn't obsessed with flyering and getting bums on seats um, at this time of year. So if you're anywhere else, you can go to comedianscomedian.com and click the donate button, and you can chuck us a tip. You can chuck it, chuck me a little donation, a little something something to keep the lights on. Uh, people have been very kindly donating five, ten, or twenty pounds, and occasionally some super legends out there, super goldsmiths, they. Uh, donate something in the region of a pound a show or you do you do your own maths 10p a show 50p a show whatever you think uh, is worth whatever you think the show is worth if you think this show has made a, a difference to you then uh, feel free to give me a little financial pat on the back that would be very kind of you um, i'm going to be i'm using comcom donations this year for things i always said i use the donations specifically for plans to make for ways of making the show bigger and broader in its scope and more exciting so something i'm doing later this year is the result of one particular uh, well in fact two particular mystery benefactors who are big fans of the show who'd like to remain anonymous um they are helping me gate crash the la podcast festival it's expensive to do i've got to fly myself over there put myself up in a hotel um and uh so i, I will have some uh, extremely unofficial presence there that's all down to donations and this year as well uh in part the edinburgh experience will be down to donations as well i've i've uh, I've paid for some PR, which has been really its quite an exciting journey, actually, to try and make the show bigger and get noticed in things. I think that's a fair use of it. But I, I'm very careful with the money that you send me. I don't fritter it away. I really try and make sensible decisions based on what I can afford, thanks to thanks to your very, very kind support, um, and what is most useful for the podcast in terms of getting this status up there, getting bigger and better guests and, uh, and being able to travel all over the place and interview them. So that's enough about money. Thank you. I'm obviously, as you can hear, I'm at Edinburgh. I'm in the mood for a bottling speech. I'm kind of, uh, my, my engine is revved for that. Uh, I'm, uh, I'm currently calibrated for asking for cash. But I just wanted to say a little something about, uh, about what I do with it. So thank you very much. Donations to comedianscomedian.com. Email me info at comedianscomedian.com or follow at comcompod for more details of the guests as and when they are released. Thanks for listening. This is the conclusion of my conversation with the fabulous Justin Morehouse.
when were you when were you homeless? I've never know I've never known that about you. I see you I, I see the, the very successful on it. Drives a nice car, doesn't like to talk about it about other people. <laughs> it's an old We're... car, but it's a nice car. <laughs> uh, so, so it's four years old. <laughs> uh, between the ages of uh, 19 and um, 21, I was technically homeless. So I did a lot of uh, couch surfing, that right, sort of right, thing. And okay. then there was a period when I slept in a car, an abandoned okay. car for a, for a summer. So, yeah, so so comedy saved, comedy saved me. Comedy saved me. And is it, do you, like, I, I think something very similar to that. I need to fairly constantly or consistently remind myself of that because yeah. otherwise that, that envy can turn to yeah. jealousy very easily. And I'm sure going is like, how, how long have you been going? 15 years. Sure. So, like, obviously it's, it's writ large in the Manfords and the Bishops who streaked ahead. But yeah. all the way through a comic's life, even when we were, when we were individually separately five years in, there were people who were suddenly getting the plaudits and suddenly yeah. getting the opportunities. Is it something that you need... To, like, I, certainly for me, I need to remind myself, and go, no, shut up, I'm happy. <laughs> yeah, I mean? exactly, exactly. And uh, uh, we, we're, it's where support at home is great as well. It's because Kathleen, who you've met, um, who's known often as the current potential second Mrs Morehouse, just says, you know what, you need to strap that smile on and just get on with it. And, you know, I, 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 when you talk about this sort of thing, it almost sounds like you're masking your real feelings, which are that you're jealous and everything. And I'm not, because John and Jason are both lovely mates, great Absolutely. mates. Absolutely. And I have benefited from their generosity, and I have jumped on that gravy train, and I have ridden that. <laughs> you know, and I'm going with them on that ride. Yeah. And they're both, they're both, they're both great. I mean, Bish's success is just incredible. Mm-hmm. And that's a really weird thing to see. Mm. It From... You know, Jason was always kind of like everyone loved Jason. He was a kind of cute guy, and he was Jason was successful from the start. John, John had a period where he probably felt like I do now. Mm-hmm. Um, this might be telling tales out of school, but uh, it's an interesting thing. I'll, fuck it, I'll tell you. There's a little story that uh, somebody. Well, I know it's true. Um, when. John did his first Michael McIntyre's Roadshow. Lisa was carrying Jason's suit in on the thing. <laughs> Fish was going, oh, there you yeah, carrying fucking Jason's suit. <laughs> and I think it might be the other way around now. Yeah, right. Do you okay. know what I mean? It's yeah. interesting, isn't it, how those yeah. things change? But, you know, I, I don't know how to say this without sort of like cutting my wrist and getting some blood out and going, honestly, I prove it, death of my children. But I'm not I'm not jealous of them. Sure. I wish, you know, yes, of course. I'd like to have I'd like to be there and having those sort of chances that they're having at the moment yes. and, and let's face it, you're a lot more of an ambitious person than someone like Sean Percival. You know, I mean, you yeah. could, could you describe Sean as ambitious? He's definitely content. He definitely has taken risks, works, enjoys it. I mean I've done, you know He might have fulfilled his ambitions. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So if you're, so you, if you, the scope of your ambitions is different to yeah. the scope of. His. I know exactly what my ambitions are. Go on. I'm doing well. I'm doing a show. That, I'm, this the edition I'm doing is called Destiny Calling, and it's all about what we become and about where we are in life. And I'm 45. I'm halfway. Typical Edinburgh fair, you know. For it a, all a is, and we all go through certain yeah. peaks and milestones but and stuff. And it's you about, talk about them. It's fine. But I've got the funny story. I hang all these funny stories on it, you know, and. My only ambition as a child was to play football for Man United, and that never happened. My ambition now is, this is entirely my ambition, is to be in a position of uh, fame, which is a funny word, isn't it, but to be well-known enough 
to uh, make my living by doing stand-up in theatres. Yeah. So if I could do that, then that would be great. And I'm not that far away. Mm-hmm. You know, I did about 70 dates on tour in small theatres and art centres. I do all right round here. Mm-hmm. Don't really at the moment sell very well, sort of in the southwest and mm. those places. So I'm not that far away from my ambition. So what do you do? What are the what's the little variables? What are the things, you know, what are the controllables, as Alan would say, that you can do? Well, one could be um for this show in Edinburgh that I'm doing, I'm just not swearing. Mm-hmm. I've taken every swear word out of the show. Mm-hmm. Why have you done that? Because when I'm big, fat, gruff, working-class northern comedian, when I swear, I do sound a bit like Bernard Manning. Yeah. You know? So you take that out. Yeah. Um, Can he? You know? I'm wearing a certain um, clothing this year. That's a, 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 it's a basically similar to what I've always worn, which is trainers, smart jeans, I've got a crisp white shirt, and I'm wearing a blue navy tank top mm-hmm. in my stand-up. Every show that I do. Mm-hmm. every show I do so when I go on stage I'm wearing uniform I'm in costume I know exactly what I'm wearing I'm not thinking about that I did that last year for the Edinburgh Shire I had a uniform but this one's I, I'm enjoying more I feel a bit smarter I look a bit cuter I think you know okay okay. Uh, because when I win an audience over what what an audience likes about me is that I'm warm mm-hmm. I think Mm-hmm. How calculated is that to think about? No, no. I mean, I think this is a really interesting aspect of the job. Yeah. Is we all have to calculate to some extent. We, we all have... This is what I was sort of getting at earlier on with asking you who, you, who they think you are. Let's, yeah. go, let's go back to that question. Who do you think they think you are? My audience, and that's a bold thing to say, but when they come to see you in Edinburgh or on tour, they are Mate, your audience. If you audience. can do 70 small theatres, yeah. you've got an audience. That my audience think that I am... A middle-aged bloke from the north of England probably tells it like it is a little bit. They probably would imagine I'm slightly more right of centre than, than, than I am. Okay, why do you think that? Well, not right of centre, but probably more centre. Because I'm just a, you know, a, a, a bloke bloke. They probably... Well, because you're sort of, you're quite a liberal person, but you don't yeah. really talk about liberal person things, you mean? Like 99.9999% of comedians, I would consider myself as a liberal. Yeah. You look at my clips that we've gone through and you would go, actually, you're not. You know? Yes, okay. That image of, you know, you on stage is not, you know. You know, liberal people don't judge people by their appearance, do they? Classically. You know, they would let people be what they want to be, you know, that sort of sure. thing. Um so, yeah, I think they think that. They think I'm a dad, you know. They probably think I'm, I like football. I suppose, but there's many things that they write about, you know. I'll tell you what's always surprises audiences when I mention I'm a vegetarian. Yes, I was surprised to yeah. see that on your, uh, on your Wikipedia page, yeah. That's because you're judging people. So yeah, you're judging right up. Absolutely. Yeah. Liberal fascist, that's yeah. right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm a vegetarian and uh, borderline vegan. I'm thinking about going vegan. Have you got stuff about that? Yeah, a little bit, yeah. Okay. A little bit. Uh, I don't drink. I don't smoke. That's this is quite relatively, you know. I've don't. I've not drank smoke for over a year now. Uh, do you have stuff about that? Yeah, it's all part of the new me. Okay, and okay. the path of continual improvement. Yes, because I'm just interested in how do you feel comfortable enough in your relationship with your audience that they will accept these changes of you, or do you do you have or have you ever considered that like I need to keep d- being who I've agreed with them that I am. I don't think I've ever agreed with what anybody's opinion of me is. Sorry, no, no. Like, when you go on stage and they... they, Like, you're aware of a certain set of of 
of ideas that they've got about you. Yeah. Does that ever and and as a result of that, you're successful. Partially as a result of that, you know, you you you. I don't think anyone's successful who doesn't clock what they think about them, what the audience think about them. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I'm just wondering. I'm always fascinated by this idea of whether it's ever a cage, whether it's ever kind of like, oh, they know me as this, you know northern bloke with kids who, who likes football and i actually once i've made that connection with them i need to kind of keep being that yeah but i am a northern bloke who likes football who's got kids and there's a dog but he's also a vegetarian and also um alfie joey who we we both know and 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 like the company of always says about me he says he he, he says you always drop words in that will surprise an audience you okay, know. yes. And if I wanted to be any comedian from any a period of time, it would be Les Dawson, you know, because I enjoy his, you know, his, his, his I enjoy his demeanour. I enjoy his... People will think that about Les Dawson until he starts speaking. Yes. Until he started playing the piano. I mean, we know him now and we love him and we know all these things about him, but when an audience you first forget, saw him... You forget the surprise element yeah. of it, yes. And it's, it's funny, isn't it? He was of that stable of, you know, northern comedians... That we would look back at now are just you know the you know the ones who were on the comedians who would be doing the Irish jokes and the you mm. know the the, the 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 racist stuff and the mother-in-law joke and he would do mother-in-law but he was the king of the mother-in-law joke and it was always written it was a character that he wrote wasn't it mm. he wasn't really his mother-in-law and I just think he's um, I just think he's the, the the benchmark for for scumbags like me who've done well. <laughs> <laughs> So and I was always it's what's interesting. Sorry, he was always a hero of mine before I ever did comedy. From from being sixteen, I read his books, and I was a hero of mine okay. all the way through. And then after I started doing comedy, I thought, oh yeah, this guy that I really like was a comedian as well. I never thought we were doing the same thing. Yes. What was your What was your origin in terms of you? You did thirty odd jobs beforehand. Yep. What was it that tipped you over the edge and thought, "I'll have a crack at this"? I was a massive uh, Peter K fan. Yeah, <laughs> it sounds quite weird now, doesn't it? Uh, but when he was, um, sort of like late, late 90s, I used to go to the Frog and Bucket quite often in the buzz, and I would go when Peter Kay was on, or Johnny Vegas was on, or Ross Noble were on. Mm-hmm. And I was kind of like a bit of a fan of theirs and different things. But I was also on other nights as well, and I would go, you know, the weekends, and I quite like stand-up comedy, you know. I like comedy, who doesn't, you know. And were you sat there watching them thinking, no, I want to do this? No. No, you were just fine. Not at all. Did not cross my mind. And I was 29. And then one day, I woke up and I thought, I wonder how you become a comedian. Maybe that's what it is. Because I always had this sort of yearning to be like somebody or to do something. And um, I think my early bios that you were all right on, you know, these things said that I was 29, I couldn't play the piano. I couldn't paint, I couldn't play for Man United. I wanted to do something creative. So I became a comedian. And I rang the frog and bucket up like a movie. <laughs> and I spoke to the manager and I said, how would you become a comedian? And he goes, well, we have these Monday nights and you need balls of steel and you come down and you try it out. Yeah. And I said, right, when can I come in? He said, well, I'll book you in for Monday. He said, hang on a minute. <laughs> Not this Monday or the Monday after because they were doing Edinburgh previews. Okay. So that gave me this kind of two weeks grace period. Yes, yes, okay. And he said, you need five minutes. So I went away and I wrote five minutes of material in my car. I went sat in the hills in, in my car, literally <laughs> in like hills. in the hills, <laughs> and uh, wrote all this stuff. And um, 
And I told somebody at work and told somebody else and they told somebody else and they told somebody else and 50 people from work came on the first night. They had a coach party, literally. Came what from was work. work at the time? I was working at the time uh, for a company called Parcel Line. Okay. They were now DPD and okay, they had, you know, the... delivery company. That's what I'd done for like three or four years with TNT and all these sort of people. And they, No, it wasn't Parcel Line, it was CityLink. Okay. It went bust about a year ago. And they all they all came and I smashed the shit out of it. <laughs> I smashed the shit out of it because the audience was about 70 strong. Yeah. 50, 50 of them are you. <laughs> I smashed the shit. But equally, just the fact that you knew a load of people that were in there doesn't mean you were going to have a good gig. So that you still had a good gig. Yeah. I and, mean, that, uh, this story could have ended very differently. Well, I think, and listening to your uh, podcast and anecdotally, most comedians, when you ask them for their first gig stories, either have a brilliant one or a terrible yeah. one. No one ever goes, yeah, it was all right. Yeah, yeah. Because I think, yeah, it was all right, is the, is the, is the enemy of the, of the ambitious, isn't it? Sure. So I went back the week after, died on my ass. Mm-hmm. Classic. With uh, <laughs> chewing gum in my mouth. Just went on. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> about 50 people in. And I remember I came off stage, I was a bit dejected, and uh, Mick Ferry came over and he went, uh, Yeah, you nicked your first joke, mate. I went, What? Because, yeah, the first joke's a Joe Brown joke. Wow. And I went, uh, Is it? Like, and he went, Yeah, yeah. It's... And I'd written it. I didn't know it was a Joe okay. Brown joke. It's a classic uh, Joe Brown joke. Now I know. Yeah. He's, uh, I'm dyslexic because when dyslexic looks in the mirror, they think they fart. You know, and I'd written that. I was quite, I was quite chuffed with that. Yeah. a clever little joke, but yeah. she obviously think it. I went, all right. He went, anyway, I'm Mick. You know, it's <laughs> got yeah. chatting. And then I went back there every single week. And those, those days, that year of doing Monday nights in the Frog and Bucket, I will never, ever forget. They were the, the best. The electricity of going, oh God, I'm yeah. doing it. I'm actually get, doing it. And we used to get a fiver. Yeah, right. We used to turn up, we'd all get a fiver. And at the time it would buy me a packet of fags. So I'll go, at least on a Monday, when I've done my money on all weekend, I'll be able to buy a packet of fags on a Monday night. And uh, that carried on for a while. And then I, I I just threw myself at it headlong. And I kept, um, you know, I should have brought them downstairs because I've got them upstairs in the loft, but I kept my diary from the first year. And I every now and then I'll go and look at it because it's just, you know, I love it, you know. Diary from 19, it was about 16 years now. Academic Diary, 1999 to 2000. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. And that six, nine months there, 
I did 250 gigs in my first year, and the majority of them were open spots, and I had a full-time job, and I was married, and I had a two-year-old baby, and, you know, I ended up getting divorced, right. and I ended up losing my job uh, because my I wasn't on the thing, and, and that's another story. I got a parking ticket, which I never paid, mm. and it escalated and through admin and not tied it out the bailiffs turned up at work okay. to seize the computers because I'd not paid I'm, the parking ticket. Oh, Matt, I'm just imagining newer comics who've already got wives and kids at home listening to this and going, it is possible, and then their wives leaning across and turning it off. <laughs> it is possible. You should. You should do it. You should do it because if it's meant to be, it's meant to be. Mm-hmm. And I, me and my wife at the time, she'll tell you now, we weren't meant to be, you know. Mm-hmm. Probably stayed together for a year longer because I was never in the house. Yeah, right. You know? Yeah. But, I yeah. mean, that's fine now. You know, it's fine. But, uh, you know, you do spend a lot of time. I mean, I, I, you know, we're flip-flopping all over the place here. But the life of a comedian when you're a family is difficult. What I do, have you ever seen the film Casino? Um, it's the, uh, with Joe Pesci oh, and yeah, yeah. De Niro. Yeah. Is that because very often I'm not here for family meals in the evening... I, I endeavour to get back from wherever I am. Most nights I can get back. I get back from most places except London, really. Mm. So I always have breakfast with my kids. Like, okay, yeah. Like Joe Pesky Casino. <laughs> and I'm like a short order chef. I'll, yeah. I genuinely will cook the children. I mean, to the children. I've got an 18-year-old and a 10-year-old, but, I, you know, what do you want? Scrambled eggs with mushroom, French toast. Yeah, right. Full English. Excellent. That's a really pancakes. lovely That's a really lovely and thing. And that's a big thing that we do in this family because we, we spend time together in the morning. That's what we do. Yeah. And I think it's really good because I think a lot of comedians spend far too long in bed, mm-hmm. you know, because they go, oh, we're working till 12. Yeah. And sleep till 12. Well, most people work till 7 and then watch TV and then go to bed at the same time as you. Yeah, and still get up true. And that's morning. absolutely true, yeah. There's a lot of comedians who are inherently lazy. Mm-hmm. You get kids that'll stop you doing that. There's two things that I'm, I, I, I feel a little bit uncomfortable with what we talked about. Like, we've left them hanging, really. Um, and I'd just like to sort of like make a make a bit of a point is that I'd never thought about what you, uh, well, no. The fact that you just researched me by sitting on a train and looking at some clips that are on, on YouTube is really interesting because that is a snapshot of me, isn't it? If anybody doesn't know my comedy, that's what they're going to find. That's what they look at, yeah. I also saw your show last year and I've got notes about that as well. But Yeah, uh, you know. that's what they're going to find. Yeah. Uh, and I just think, uh, God, you got to be careful, haven't you? You know, because this shit lasts forever. Well, I mean, and, and also, I'm not asking you to, because your opinion is valid, it's whether I can sit, if it can sit comfortable with me. Yes. And, and if I have come across as... Uh, misogynistic is perhaps not the right word. I, I didn't fat think... women is the thing. It's because I was probably writing jokes about fat people and I was a fat comic and, and that's the other rule in this show. There's no fat jokes in this show. Yeah, right. Okay. There's no fat jokes. There's no swearing. We're, 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 we're trying not to be nasty to anybody unless they deserve it. And that's, that's mm-hmm. the way I'm writing this show. Mm-hmm. And if I've got to actually stop and think about that when I'm writing and performing, I think that's only a good thing, isn't it? Absolutely. You know, I think Absolutely right. Good. And I didn't mean my tone to come off as sort of accusatory. Uh, well, at first all. question as well, Stuart. First uh, question. You brought it up. <laughs> <laughs> you brought it up. You said felt, you were changing the stuff. I felt like the Bee Gees on Clive Anderson. <laughs> you're the tosser, you, Stuart. Wait, wait till we get to I'm yeah. happy. Don't Fucking your leggings. <laughs> um, the, 
Well, I, no, it's interesting. I mean, I said at the time, I'm glad you brought that up because I wanted to ask you yeah. about that. And I don't mean to be accusatory about it at all because I don't think you say anything that is really awful. I don't, it's not like a return to Bernard Manning or anything like that, but it is interesting. It's a bit easy. It's a bit easy. And yeah. I'm interested in, I'm interested in, for someone who, and I was talking to Alan about this, Alan was saying, um, he, I was chatting to him about coming up to Manchester, and he said that you are someone who he has, he has seen sort of most consistently smashing rooms recently. You're someone who he's, like, he's just kind of gone, fucking hell, Justin's on one. And he also said something about you cutting material months ago from this Edinburgh show. In that kind of eye-rolling Alan Edge comedian way, you know, like as, as got another example as, as of he that. as he privately works extremely hard. You know, and yeah, someone yeah, said yeah. to you recently, "We all it's like exams. We all pretend we've done no revision." You know? <laughs> yeah. but, but he said, "I know where that's coming from." He said to me, I, "And I did it. It's sad in the text, but I was doing it with a little wink. Yeah. I'm cutting, mate, and I was cutting because <laughs> yeah, the yeah. stuff was longer than I thought it was." Sure, I'd say something more arrogant than that. Um, I was in uh, Ed, I was in Dubai. Uh, last January, last January, not this January, it's gone, the January before, and I was with two of my favourite people in the world, uh, Mike Gunn and Paul Sinner. Yeah. And we did the run of gigs and I did a different That's 20 a, yeah. every night for seven nights. Oh, well done, well done. <laughs> and in the end, Mike Gunn went, you're making us look like dicks now. <laughs> but that's because I got a bank of material that yeah, I've been sure. on tour doing two hours and all sorts of stuff. And, and I just thought, oh, what a dick. What a dick. That's I, I mean, that's very impressive. That's very impressive. <laughs> but a lot of it was comparing stuff as well. And, yes, you know, okay. It, but I did that and, uh, and, 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 and goes, all right, mate, all right now. <laughs> but I had, you know, that's what happened. And that's, I, I do write a lot. I do, I do yeah. you know, and I throw a lot away. Absolutely. And there is something about comedy. There is some element of it that it should be your job to... Not to make everyone else look bad, but if you're if you're the middle spot, you should be you should be trying to make you be trying to be hard to follow. Um, yeah, that's what we all do. And if we don't, then I think we might have given up. I've got. Um, I think everyone should try as hard as they can every single night. You know, I think everyone should. I think everyone should be smashing the shit out of every gig and making it impossible to follow. So when you do have to follow, you have to go, fuck it, I've got to raise my game here. And that way, comedy gets better, clubs get busier and people are happier. There is so many shit acts out there at the moment, it's unbelievable. There is so many, so many lazy, lazy comedians. And so many just, you know, should give up. They really? Should, they that's, should. Not a, that's not an opinion most people are open about saying. But they, most people think it. There's so many comedians that are blocking... There's, I, there's so much talent around the northwest where I see it more than any, anywhere. There's a bunch of comics in Liverpool who are great. There's a bunch of comics in Manchester who are great. I mean, not just comics like me, but you know, you know, slightly left of centre and kind of doing different things and a bit of sketch and a bit of this. And there's so much stuff going on, and they're just not getting into the big clubs. They're just not getting into those those rooms where they can consistently make a living so they can continue. And yeah, let's use the pretentious word. They can continue making their art because they need to be working on the weekends to do that. I don't know. It's, that maybe sounds really harsh and horrible, but there are comedians who haven't written a new job for 10 years. And, and it's actually not their fault. It's the fault of the promoters. It's the fault of the promoters and bookers of rooms who book their mates, who book the same old, same old, 
who never really watched the shows, who... I'll tell you, I'll, this is... Here's, here's the thing, OK? When you see a lineup for a weekend club and you look at it and you go, why does that look odd? Oh, yeah, that's because every single one of those four acts is from the same agency. Mm-hmm. That's poor booking. Mm-hmm. That's somebody ringing somebody up and going, oh, hiya, um, who have you got for this weekend? Oh, yeah, I'll take that, that, that and that. But they might not work together well. You, never, you haven't curated that properly, have you? Okay. I just think that's quite poor. I used to uh, book a gig at Charlton Irish, which Rob Riley's taken over now, called Laugh Local. It was really good. And it's sort of like it was the hardest thing I've ever done, was making these bills, concocting them, getting recipes. Yeah. Uh, it was a real eye-opener for me on, on the circuit, is I would put an email out saying availability for these dates. And the thousands of people, the hundreds of comedians, sorry, let's not, let's not over-exaggerate. Sure. The hundreds of replies I would get from comedians that were free on a Friday night in Manchester mm-hmm. for £200, who hadn't got a weekend. Mm. Great acts, you know. And, and, you're, and you're, what, you're, what you're implying is that they were unable to get weekends because there were people far less good than themselves. Yeah. What, clogging up the circuit? Is that what clogging you up the circuit. People who are booked six months in advance, 12 months in advance, who've got lazy and haven't written a new joke. You know, um, it, it does not do. It doesn't do anybody any good to name names because that'd be horrible picking on one person. I, met, I was working with a mate of mine at a gig, and uh, another friend had said, "Oh, you're on with uh, that comedian. That was a bloke, actually, so that man." Mm-hmm. He said, "Jake, oh, it's great. I come and see him." And uh, he came. He came and saw the the, the the gig, and afterwards he said to me, "I said, oh, it was great." And he said to a couple of people, oh, "I really enjoyed that." And the comedian that he'd come to see had said, uh, oh, yeah, you know, you know that awful, this is mm-hmm. awful thing. And I wasn't very happy that my friend had done that. And my friend actually went, well, to be honest, I'm making a name up here, Eric. It wasn't mm-hmm. anyone like To be honest with you, Eric, he said, I'm a bit annoyed. He said, I'm a big bit of a fan of yours. He said, and I've seen that act now seven times. Mm. He said, three times on television. Wow. He said, so I'm not going to bother coming to see you again. And you think, oh, my God. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this idea of um, it being the fault of the promoters for 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 giving leeway to people to do the same stuff. I mean, that's an interesting way round because obviously, what one could say it's the requirement, it's the fault of the act for not, you know, refreshing their material. Yeah, it's interesting. Just to use another metaphor from an analogy from from street performing. There's two schools of thought. Ding again. There's yeah, yeah. (laughs) There's the school of thought that says. You know, when I was working at Covent Garden, there's a school of thought that says, anybody can work here, this is for everyone, it's the street, and we have to accept whatever anyone wants to turn up and do, because it's the street, and that's precious, and it belongs to everyone. And then there's a school of thought that says, if person X continues to work here, it's going to make us all look bad, because they're terrible and... Wasn't the street self-policing, though? Well, yes, but only in a kind of a racket way. <laughs> yeah. I mean, do you well, mean... Could you not go up to, you know, you know, Porky the Clown or whatever, and just go... Mate, you know, that ring hack, you know, that ring hack you're doing is getting so hack. Yeah, you people know, do do that, but then Porky the Clown sticks his heels in and goes, it's, it's my street. I'm it's worked for a thousand years. Yeah, yeah, yeah well, exactly, yeah, longer. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah but, but there's no, I mean, comedians don't tend to self-police, do they? You, you, like, I don't know of anyone that's, well, certainly no one has come up to me and said, <laughs> but I don't know of any other comic that would go up to another comic and say, yeah, that's the same 20 you've been doing now for 10 years. No, no, because... 
I think that's the ultimate taboo in yes. this business. We could call each other out and go, you know what, I think that's a bit sexist you're doing there. Mm-hmm. You know what, I think that could be construed as racist. Do you know what, that joke you're doing, Joe Brand does that joke. You know, uh, I, you know, we could say, um, fucking hell, mate, you didn't MC me properly on. Yeah. You know, fucking hell, you overran. Fucking hell, you underran. Stop fighting in the dressing room. Mate, you took all the beer out of the fridge, they've changed the rules now. We can do all that, but we can't go, you know what, you've got a bit lazy. Yeah. Because I think... Isn't that interesting? Yeah, I, I totally agree with you, yeah. Probably like the pride of lions, isn't it? You know, we have respect for the... And, let's be honest with you, a lot of them are the older ones. Mm-hmm. You know? And that's the thing, that's another thing that keeps me going. I don't want to be in that gang. There's a few, you know, that um, privately, you know, promoters and other people are going, I'm not going to put them anymore. Yeah. It's slowly changing, you know. Yeah. Same twenty. I think well, I think that's a that's it, it almost is in some respects, is it kind of self policing in that people are if bookers are starting to go, look, we've got yeah. enough. But there's it's taken a long time. I, th- to me, there's no uh, there's no bigger thrill for me as an MC uh when I MC the comedy store in London, which I for me is still the ultimate pleasure, mm. you know, that I go and there's somebody new on the bill that I've never seen there before. For the weekend, yeah. yeah. To compare someone's first weekend, it's a bit like bloodletting. It's kind of, yeah, right. It's a real kind of yeah. lovely. Martin Nelson did it uh, last time I was there. It was his first yes, weekend. Yes, yes, I remember. And the fear of him, idea. and the kind of the excitement, the fact that he hasn't done it a little bit. Years. You know, he was also a little bit, you know, yeah, cocksure. You know, yeah, and all right. that sort of thing, which you've got to be. It was great. It was so good because you know he's a good comic. Mm-hmm. You know he's going to mm-hmm. smash the room. You know, and 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 you know, coupled with the nerves and everything else, it's going to be a great weekend for him. It's really nice. I think it's yeah. It's really nice when you when you let's let's talk about technique. Let's zero in a bit on technique. When you're MCing, are there kind of certain principles that you follow? Because you're one of those. I mean, have you have you ever been nominated for like best? Never comp- been nominated anything for anything. Like really? Yeah. Really? Yeah, yeah. Oh, I've never, you, well, never been a bridesmaid. Sorry, <laughs> never, <laughs> never been a bridesmaid. <laughs> no, I'm not a comedian's comedian. I'm not, and that's fine, and I'm kind of really happy about that, and I know why that is. Why is that? Because I'm better than everybody else. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think, uh, I tell you what, uh, because I got uh, part of Phoenix Nights really quickly, Yeah. so I was kind of an open spot comedian, got on the TV, and then what happened very quickly is I, I won City Life Comedian of the Year, which was a sure. competition in Manchester. This was all in 2000. You know, I've been going for less than a year. And then I got a pilot seat. And then it was at the comedy store. The comedy store took me on. Yeah. I was a comedy store at, and then I started playing the comedy store. Yes. So no one needed to champion you. No. Because you were doing fine. So with 18 months, I was doing weekends at the comedy store in London before wow. I was ready. Wow. You know, before and I was And they were ready. letting you keep doing them. Yeah. Even though you weren't ready because I, you were Well, no, because I stepped up to the plate. Right. Because I had to, I, you know, that was another challenge. Gotcha. And I, and I took that challenge. I have, throughout my career, been given more chances than most comedians I've had more doors open for me and I've had more opportunities. But every time that's happened, I've realised that and been thankful for it and gone for it. Sure. I've never, I've never, no. The only time I probably could look back and say maybe I could have done better is uh, the other cases I've been on panel shows like 8 out of 10 cats, things like that, where I've not done them a lot and I've been pretty shit on them. Why is that? I don't know, really. I don't know if it's because I don't come across well on them. I don't think everybody does. Is there enough room for everyone to be the man of the people? Mm. And I'm quite a big personality as well. So 
It's all it, on. I, I think one of the hardest elements of those shows, and obviously you need loads of jokes and you need loads of topical jokes that maybe that's not your forte or whatever. One of the hardest things is simply getting used to not being the only person who has a relationship with the audience. Yes. Do you know what I mean? And for someone like you, I think, where those these things are like, it's charm, it's charisma, it's warmth, loads of great jokes as well, but it's built on the bedrock of your personal relationship yeah. with them. If all of a sudden there are six other personal relationships with them c- trying to coexist, I think that can be very difficult. Also, as well, I do tend to shit myself. <laughs> a panic like you wouldn't believe. Do and you really? work myself up into such a fucking... Before gigs in general? Or no, just that no, no, TV, TV, panel show recordings. Yeah. The, the small number of times I've done them just never come across well. Just had the fear, just not it felt great. You know, conversely, I do news quiz quite often... Fucking love it, mm. you know, and I'm in my element on there. I do uh, fight and talk very often on on Five Live. I'm, you know, been the champion of champions, and you know, win every time I'm on it. Have fun with it, and it's just great. I don't know what it is. I think it's, I don't know. Maybe it's just that kind of like. Maybe it's the fear of the final push. Maybe there's that thing of going, if I do well on this panel show today, yeah. then I'm going to sell out the hippodrome. There's do a lot I mean? more at stake on the, yeah. an episode of Mock the Week than there is, career-wise, touring-wise, than there is necessarily on a smaller show or a radio show or a podcast show. However, what's interesting is, I think... Although I should say, if you smash this interview now, yeah, you never look off, yeah. <laughs> I think, I might not be wrong, but there are times when the news quiz has more listeners than Mock the Week. Yep. And I think, I might be wrong that the people who listen to News Quiz are more likely to go to art centres where yes, I can do my right. comedy. You know what right. I mean? That's yeah. what, you know. A delicate balance. Did a lot of Northern comics grow up in the shadow of Peter Kay? Yeah. Um, and also in uh, the shadow of the comedians and the that, that sort of circuit of Northern comedians, that Northern comedian thing. And Johnny Vegas, and Ross Noble, but I and think, Steve Coogan. I think, and- I think the reason I mean Peter Kay specifically is he seemed, as a, as a Southerner to me, yeah. he seemed to kind of typify, he like defined it, he went, oh, this is the, the northern post-working men's club, cheeky chappy, yeah. kind of, you know what I mean? He, he, yeah, I he think kind Shadow, of nailed that. I think Shadow is... is, is uh, um, yeah, that sounds negative, doesn't it? Negative. I, don't, I just mean, I mean, it might feel like a shadow from the point of view of a friendly northern, slightly tubby yeah. bloke trying to carve out their own oh, identity. Mate, of course, that's there you I mean. go. Yeah, yeah, I've got that. You know, that's 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 my that's my bugbear. But I can't complain about that because I also benefited from not only being in that shadow, being under that cape. <laughs> Yes, right. So, okay. you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was it, carried along with it a little bit, so yes. it's kind of. It makes me think of all the uh, all the comics that you see, like in in Dublin. If you work the Laughter Lounge in yeah. Dublin, saying there's posters on the wall of so and so. Lots of comics are like, you'll know him as Father So and So. Yeah, Father, Father, Father You're Father. like, well, I would have a while ago. Yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> but yeah, I think so. And um, you know, the, I, I always feel sorry for the comedians who weren't in Phoenix Nights because they were sort of like uh, probably four or five who went for a part and didn't get a part and one thing or another. Mick Ferry, brilliantly, when he, uh, when he... We went for the audition and they filled the form and he put name of agent and he wrote yeast. <laughs> <laughs> and I like to think that maybe they wanted to give him a part but they couldn't find his, his management company. <laughs> We've Googled yeast and we can't find it. So, yeah, so I think, yeah, it did. It, it held some people back. 
I got known as the F- a Phoenix Knights comedian, mm-hmm. so that comes with its own kind of help and hindrance at times. What, I mean, what were some of the hindrances? In that, you know, uh, you get billed as being from Phoenix Knights, okay. and it just kind of, oh, I don't really... So you need to struggle to, to establish your own identity when there are people yeah, but... there expecting to see your character. You and to see, or to see Peter Kay or Dave Spikey, because they're yeah. the comedians, you know. You know, one of the very worst things, and still happens to this day, is uh, uh, corporate events. Who here likes Phoenix Knights? Right. Well, we've got one of the stars. Oh, oh yeah. Not okay. really. A small part in it. Yeah. I had a very small part in a very successful television show. For This, this is the Morehouse statement on this. <laughs> I had a very small part in a very successful TV show, which I will be forever grateful for. But it's hard sometimes to go, I'm... I'm, that's 1% of what I do, of sure. what I've been and what I've done. You know, so if was, you die in a plane crash, yeah, Phoenix Nightstar dies. <laughs> probably, yeah. 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 And not even that, Simpleton who had his face painted. <laughs> you know? Yeah, right. But I'm not stupid enough to realise that's probably why I, I still might get a little bit more publicity for my tour than some... But then you might, Stuart, because... There's someone to hang it on. They can go, oh, from Phoenix Knights? Oh, yeah, there you go. You know, yeah. that's the first thing they can say. Even though it's such a long time ago. And I get all pretentious and just go, oh, I'm not having it on the poster. I'm not, mm. not on the poster. Till this year when we did 15 nights for Comet Relief. <laughs> I thought, stick it on the fucking poster, you know. Yeah. If it just jogs something in somebody's memory. You know, when you look at the array of posters and the bold claims that people have, star Absolutely. of this. star of this. You know. To this day, I mean, we're back to Alan, uh, as seen on, but by no means the star. No, of. Yeah, yeah, great. Yeah. <laughs> Charlie Baker, who I love a lot. Yes. Lo- and, and who doesn't? Um, he's posted this year, and I think he's done this as a bit of a joke. He's put star of the Great British Bake Off and extra slide. <laughs> <laughs> And he wasn't even... Joe Brand was the star of that. Yeah, right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but it's, 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 it's whatever you can throw at the wall, isn't it? Yeah. You know, and they're looking at it, go, oh, yeah, well, you like that, didn't you? You like the bacon. Absolutely. That's what it's about. Let's, before we before we wrap up, let's just talk... I keep saying let's talk technique. Let's, um, let's look first at the emceeing. What kind of... Uh, what kind of principles do you or did you follow as as an MC? Well, uh, it's very simple. Do your time. Don't do don't do too much. Don't do too little. But you can be flexible. I think, you know, if it if it's ready, it's ready. Mm-hmm. Um, give everybody the same level of introduction. That's really important. And and I try and use the same phrase. I don't use the same phrase every time. But if I'm a, a comrade at night, I want to say, "Let's go, welcome our next guest." Stuart Goldsmith, mm-hmm. or you know, and let's get. I, I always think it's important that the last name, the name comes right at the end of the sentence. Yes, me too. God, wind you know, me up if someone <laughs> says your name while you're waiting in the wings before you go on. Because that helps as well if uh, if the act's African. Yeah, right. <laughs> you can't just say the name. Get that applause going. Let's bring yeah, the yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but, but but kind of creatively in terms of talking to an audience, like we're, like the, we're back to this idea of uh, of charm and warmth. And what are those things? What is charm to you when you know that you go out there and they they just love you? I Why think do I they can just ask, love you. I think I can ask questions. Um, well, quite deeply, and I'm talking about this in my Edinburgh show. Is I don't think anyone wants to fuck me. Is that what it is? Yeah, I think that's what it is. I think you're, I'm the comedy you're... eunuch. <laughs> <laughs> what the, you're not? You're I'm unthreatening. Safe. I'm unthreatening. Yeah. 
girls, girls would want to cuddle me, you know. No, no girl want to get off with me, you know. And also to the bloke, I'm a bit of a podgy lad, you know what I mean? I'm not a threat. But I know inside that, you know, I'm fucking funnier than you'll ever be, mate. And your girlfriend knows as well. Well, that's interesting because I think there are plenty of uh, less uh, physically attractive men than you who would be even less threatening who aren't loved by an audience. So it can't just be that, can it? It's got to be something about that. there's a warmth as well. There's a northern thing. That kind of twinkle. That sort of, do you know what I mean? That thing of like, I'm low status, but actually secretly I've got a secret, which is that I'm the funniest guy in the room. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. I love that. That's my favourite thing about the job. Definitely. Do you do you find you mentioned good northern as well? There is some sort of northern. There is a thing about me. Uh, that I am. A, I am. The, 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 You're the, sort of quintessential somehow, aren't yes, you? Yes. Yes. And and so take those tropes and take those things and 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 you know celebrate them. But then there's there's something else there as well. And do you think you ever kind of play up to that? Try not to. Like that idea, you know, the idea of, and I don't, I never quite know what this means, but that idea of like a professional northerner. Oh, no. Who's somehow kind of, I mean, maybe I've it's got become, to But it's become even different now because there's a professional Mancunian. Okay. You know, this city is getting dangerously close to being Liverpool. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I know what you mean by that. You know, that. let's not talk about ourselves as, as, as being so great. Because once you start, once you start licking your balls and saying, "Look how big my balls are," yeah. you know someone else is getting their balls out down the road, aren't they? I think. <laughs> yeah, but that, who could forget that charming <laughs> expression that your little Manchester granny used to say? <laughs> but I think, yeah, I think I try try not to be. I try to be. I try to be uh, as. I try to be man of the people. Of course, I try. That's what I am. You know, I'm not high status. I never will be as a comedian because I think if I do, you know, there are certain things I'll never joke about on stage. Uh, one of them is rape, mm-hmm. um, uh, because you know we've already discussed. That I have a tendency to be slightly to come across slightly misogynistic, and if I was to ever do a joke that had the word rape in it, it just doesn't come across well. It just mm. it's awful. I mean, there's a I, I, there's a huge debate about that subject anyway in comedy. I mean, I personally don't like it. I mean, I'm all for you say what you want about anything. I don't. I hate hearing the word rape on stage. I hate it. I think it's such a powerful, horrible, disgusting, violent act that I think it's just a horrible thing to hear in a comedy room. You know, that's a different subject, isn't it? Oh, we're flip-flopping everywhere here, aren't we? One thing I do when I'm in seeing, or something I sort of have found myself doing over the years, um, is I will kind of ask a provocative question. Because you'll definitely get some sort of answer out yeah. of it that you can do something with. Are there other kind of things like that that you, that you, uh, you know, sort of not not exactly principles, but kind of techniques? Um, because of, because I was not a comedian for the first twenty nine years of my life, and I had a wide variety of jobs. I have a remarkable knowledge. I have I have a remarkable lexicon. Of a, a wide range in subjects. Yes, okay. I, I know a little bit about Inside quite a lot. knowledge on lots of things. Lots of things. That's handy. So uh, what do you do for a living? You know, welder. Oh, MIG. You know, something yeah, like just yeah, yeah. drop something like that in or do something like that. And every now and then I love asking somebody where they're from, what they do, and knowing I've got an absolute bomb to drop. Yeah. You know, and I can even, you know, that, you know, it could be somebody who used to live next door to me. I could, you know, I just carry it on and just go, you, and then goad them. 
so that they think I'm floundering and then just bang. Oh, what, like save up, like you recognise that you've got, what, existing material about it or a it's, fact about it? It, it is, it, it, yeah, it could be uh, material, but that would be the easy way of doing it. But the very fact that, all right, mate, what do you, you know, uh, what, what's your name? All right, I'm Dave, you know, uh, what what do you do for a living? Um, oh, I'm just trying to think of something very quickly. Oh, I'm a, I'm a commie chef at the Village Hotel in Cheadle. Okay. Right. And blah, blah, blah. And I'm in that and I'm thinking, well, I used to be the kitchen porter at the village hotel in Cheadle. Okay. I wonder if Frank's the works there. He's got one eye and an arm and all that yeah, sort of stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But and you I don't just, spunk it immediately. You yeah, save it up. Save it. Yeah. Because it, it becomes a bigger surprise. If you just go, if you went, oh my God, you know, Frank, yes, yes, you're just okay. going, he's having a conversation. Yes. But if you just come back, That's interesting. you know, maybe later. But yeah, I, I, I'm emptying less now though than I used to. Yeah. Yeah, I'm emptying less because I I, I want to do more. Well, I, I, the reason I bring it up is I, I thought from your hour last year, um, which was great. It was so, I mean, it was a, it's a big room. It's in the Gilded. It was the one with the steep where they, yeah. I can't remember the name of it. Shame. Dining room. The dining room. Um, and uh, what I was really interested to see was there was loads of, like you, you, you didn't compare through it. It had loads and loads of stuff. But also, you were, it was all sewn together so well by your, rea- your relationship to the audience. It felt like a really, you know, it felt like you were almost, you were the compare and you were all three acts. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Is that something that you kind of go for? Is that that sort of relationship with them? Or is that something that you, that, like, what are the, what are the, what are the benefits and advantages of that kind of approach? Um, that if it's not going so well, you can carry them along with you a little bit. Yeah. Um, I think when everybody writes an Edinburgh show, very often they go, right, first five minutes, I'll let him see himself on. Yeah. You know, I think, you know, my favourite uh, comedian, my, you know, my favourite comedian to learn from, and my favourite comedian is Jerry Seinfeld. And, you know, his, like, little golden rules, you know, his three, three golden rules he has, aren't they, that? Go on. Sinatra's playing in the auditorium. Mm-hmm. There's red drapes, and he walks on, and the first thing he says is a joke. Okay. So we know where we are. And I think those things, if you can stick to those things, like we're talking about the clothes, um, I've got, uh, you know, this show, I walk on, I know what my opening line is going to be every night. Yeah. I'm not going to say, hi, thanks for coming, cheers, nice one here, it's settle down, settle down. I think you waste time. Yeah. I think you waste time. And there's the danger that you're the fifth show they've seen that day. Do you know what? They've had a lot of how you're doing. The current percentage suck at Mrs. Morehouse. We were yeah. talking about this. And she just, it was almost like, because she doesn't really like stand-up comedy that much. She hates stand-up comedians. She hates us. <laughs> she watched Comedian, the uh, Seinfeld film. Yeah. And when he started talking about, I've just got my 20 now, she went, you're all the same. <laughs> <laughs> and comedians are just the same, you know. And she just got, she, it was almost like she was doing Edinburgh bullshit bingo. You know that yeah, thing? Yeah, she just went absolutely. through them. It was brilliant. She, I'd never talked about this before. She went, oh, yeah, we know there are hills in Edinburgh. Cobbles, you know, yeah. why do they put the festival on in the summer? Yeah. You know, she went, why oh, it rains. Yeah. Yeah. Don't they drink a lot in Edinburgh? Yes, they do. The pubs are open late. Cobbles. The meadow, blah, blah, yeah, blah, yeah, blah, yeah. you know, you know, and, um, and and so just walk straight on, and I've got my opening line. I know what it's going to be, and I'm straight away. I'm off then. And lastly, then let's finish with this: when you're writing, no, a tell shows, me more about how much you like my show. <laughs> <laughs> how much? Oh, well that, well, that has reminded me. This so the pre, pre, lastly, the penultimate thing. I, I think you first came to my attention as a stand-up when you did a show in Edinburgh called The Boiled Egg on the Beach. Yeah. Because I remember at the time, and it's not, not 
I, I never saw the show, I'm afraid. But uh, I remember seeing enormous posters. Yeah. And then realising, hang on, he's doing a tiny room. Yeah. I thought, that's an interesting strategy. Someone's yeah. had to think about this. And stuff like that always piques my curiosity. I yeah. love I love trying to game the system. I love seeing other people trying to game the system. Worked. Did it work? Tell me about that, that year. Because that, I thought it was 50-seater room, okay. And I had, and it would be obtuse of me to uh, talk about how much I spent. Uh, but I think it was, I can't, I haven't got my settlement with me. And it was, I was with a different management company and they negotiated an incredible uh, DVD deal uh, from people, and we had to spend it all on posters. I see, I see. And I okay. literally had a poster bigger than my venue. <laughs> You're physically bigger than the, yeah. the space that you stood on stage. Yeah, it's bigger than the stage. Yeah. And uh, so I had a variety of advertising. I also had a very strong image that year. Yes. Uh, which was my head on a stick being held up, which was an outtake from, a, from a, an Andy Hollingworth shoot okay. from a previous show that I'd done years ago. Um, and it just sort of like, but people for six months afterwards, mate, I was at meetings at the BBC and I was, you had a brilliant Edinburgh, didn't you? That's Did you see the show? Well, no, but we just, you know. You can see the size of it. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? It's all about perception. Oh, I should snip this, put out, this bit out and put it in a special paid-for thing. Well, the real secrets. <laughs> and last year, I did that room and sold really well. It was, it was sold out, more or less, and I had no posters, no PR, nothing, and it was just because I'd gone with a new agent and I just wanted to go up and do Edinburgh again. And we had a few people invited to come along that I wanted to see the show and just confirm that they thought I was a good stand-up, and I got the Apollo out of it. So that's why it's almost sort of like I feel nauseatingly bad saying this, but that's what we went to Edinburgh for. Mm. I say we like with God, that sounds like fucking me and the entourage. No, it's fine. It's Justin fine. Bieber, but yeah. that's what me and Christian, who I'm with, yeah. decided to do. Said, "Look, do Edinburgh. You know, do a great show. Just make it loads of laughs all the way through. We'll get all these people in. You know, corporate bookers and different bookers and radio people and, and everything else. And it kind of relaunched me a little bit with a new mm. agent. Which I think you have to do sometimes, don't mm -hmm. you? I know you've got a new agent. And you mm -hmm. have to do that sometimes, don't you? You have to kind of say, here I am again. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's what we did. So finally then, let's talk about the, the actual writing process. How much of it is you coming up with stuff on stage conversationally, just from notes? Are you just taking notes on stage or are you sitting and writing a script? What is, what is you writing a show look like? Um, so what I do is, so this show is called Destiny Calling and I knew it was about being, um, about ambition and about uh, stuff. And some of the stuff that we've talked about today is about where you are in the business and where you are in life and all that sort of thing. And I'm a very happy man. You know, I've got no axe to grind about things, so there's nothing to moan about for me on stage. I don't want to moan on stage. I want to celebrate, but I want to tell funny stories. So as loose a theme as possible and then write to it. So that's what I've done. And so basically, I, I, if, you, if, you, if you turn around, Stuart, you can see on the wall there, there's a couple of sheets of A4. Yes. Which are very basic uh, story outline things. Yes. One is the uh, Dan Harmon story wheel. Okay. He writes community. Yeah. And the second Love one. community. Yeah. And the second one is a principle that uh, the story writers at Pixar use. And um, I did a show years ago called Seven about seven stories of the world and one thing and another. Yes. And I, and, I, and I found that although I don't agree with either of those, an amalgamation yeah. of both of them helps. I'm going to take a picture of that and I'm going to put it on the Comedian Comedian Facebook group. I use those as outlines for things. So every routine sticks to those wheels. 
and every show sticks to those wheels and every really? joke sticks to those wheels to a point and then you've got to let them and then, and then flop it, out a little yes, bit. Yes, okay. I do <laughs> because that's what I am on stage. I'm not clipped. Yes. I have to let these things breathe. So then, I, so then I, my very first preview, I'll have a load of material and I'll try and go, so this show, I go once, so if we just have a look at that second one, it reads, once upon a time there was every day, one day, because of that, because of that, until finally. So... Roughly, my show is once upon a time there was me, and every day I was doing all this 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 old stuff. But I decided to change because of that. This happened, and I've and that so I've got routines about things that have happened to me. It's it's hard to say out loud like that, but really I'm trying to think of one. There's um, all right. I'll give you one example. Go on. So the opening of the show is that's what I'm wearing. So once upon a time there was me who used to uh, not care about what he wore on stage, right. Every day, he just decided what he wanted to wear. One day, he decided to wear a tank top and a white sleeve shirt. Because of that, he looked like a toddler until finally he decided to tell that story on stage and make those jokes about it. Okay. So you can make everything fit into I've that gotcha. kind of okay, thing. I've got you. Okay, okay, I understand. So, so what I do is then is I, is I uh, when I'm writing new material, I drop them into club sets. So I drop the jokes in, drop the jokes in, drop the jokes in. And then I'll uh, start, then I get what I call chunks and they could be between a minute, five minutes, or ten minutes long chunks. And then I just use one word in a book, so I'll go. So my show, tonight, I'm doing a preview, so tonight I'll be going... Um, I could get off my phone. I could, I'll be going... Uh, I'll go toddler. I'll go toddler, ambition, tinchy. And then I'll go Bobby, Ricky, and I know exactly where we're mm-hmm. going with all these, mm-hmm. but they're like all five-minute bits. Okay. You know? And are you, are you coming up with those five-minute bits about the subject of ambition that you've decided to write a show about, or are they just stuff that's arising from no, observations and I kind things? of decided what I was going to write about sort of six, seven months ago. Yeah. And kind of started thinking about that. But I can also, and what I do do is also, in this process now, start to shape those routines so they make sense. So I've got a story about uh, playing football at Man United in a charity game. And I'm not telling any lies here, but I make the thrust of the story, that's that was my only ambition as a child. Yes, okay. I could tell that story from the point of view of, have you ever felt exposed in a room if the story yep. was about, you know, if the story was ever about doing you know, 20 stories about why I shouldn't have been there, you know, mm-hmm. but, but that's the way my jumping off point is, is that uh, I've got a story about my friend who went skiing after his wife left him and he always wanted to go skiing. It wasn't until his wife left him, this okay. happened. So you can kind of make it fit. Yes. Which, you know, on the surface, surface of it can sound like cheating, but it's not really because you're just creating that story. And then having a director, she helps me think that. And we have dropped... Uh, I've dropped some, I think, fucking gold from the show because it just doesn't make sense. Because like, it doesn't make sense within the story. Well, I've got a cut anyway, because yeah. Alan Cochran will be grumpily telling you. <laughs> yeah. He said he's cutting. Um, so I've got a routine. So the show's called Destiny Calling. I've got a routine about meeting Tim Booth from James because uh, the show's called Destiny Calling. And it's a great little routine. It's a true story about... When we used to play them on the radio, we used to say, James, like cheese on toast. Mm-hmm. In that, every time you have cheese on toast, you always go, oh, 
I really like Jigsaw. I should have this more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No one ever listens to James and goes, oh, I don't want to listen to this as often as I'm doing. Yeah. But he listens every now and then and goes, they're great. You know, they're great. And he came into the radio station and my mate said, don't mention the cheese on toast. And I said, I'm not going to mention the cheese on toast. And of course I mentioned the cheese on toast. And I say to him, it's funny you should be here because when we play James, you're still like cheese on toast. Not in a bad way. And he looked at me and he said, well, that's interesting because I'm both lactose intolerant and a celiac, so I can never have cheese on toast. <laughs> and that's the, you know, but that's a two minute story, which is fun. Yeah. And you can imagine me telling that on story, that on stage and, and, and performing it and visualising it and everything mm-hmm. else. It's got nothing to do with ambition. Yes. Okay. And and because I need and well done for cutting it then, yeah. rather than trying to wedge it in. Did you spend any time trying to wedge it in? No, Did I you try and make no, because it, it was working. It was working, and then I got to the point where the show was at, last week was at an hour and ten minutes, and this is even after cutting loads of stuff. Mm-hmm. Like I cut this routine about chemists, which is fucking great. It's really good. And will you keep that in your back pocket for yeah. next year? Yeah, I've written that. Uh, maybe for the tour, maybe mm. that'll make it onto the tour when it can breathe a little bit. But I'm kind of don't want to do that. Kind of. I keep joking with Alan, right? I want to be Louis UK. <laughs> 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 I fucking love Louis UK. And I, not like in a kind of fanboy way, but I love the fact that he's turning over an hour of material. And every year it's just a solid one hour, nothing else. Mm-hmm. Bang, on stage, microphone, bang, 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 bang. I'm never going to be as good as him. Maybe I might be. I don't know. Maybe I won't be. Probably won't be. I think he's fucking great. He's at his pinnacle. But it's an hour, and that's it, and that's what he does. I think when I've done hours in Edinburgh before, then gone on tour with it, and it's gone a bit longer, and it's become two 45-minute sets, it's not good enough. Mm-hmm. It's Yeah, it's got longer. It's not good enough. It's not good enough because... Actually, what was good about it was it was sharp, and it felt it was 55 minutes, and it was yeah. right, and it was on the button. Um comedians who were in Edinburgh just go, you go, how's your show going? And they go, oh, it's different every night. It's not good enough. Mm-hmm. Surely. Unless you're just going, I'm just coming up fucking about for an hour, mm-hmm. showing everybody how funny I am, that's fine. You know, and if you are Ross Noble, if you're Johnny Vegas, if you're anybody who can do that kind of, Jason Byrne, that's mm-hmm. great. But if you've come up here with a show that you've written and it's not right and it's changing every night in the first two weeks and it isn't right, is it? Mm-hmm. The only caveat of that is people who store shows could go on for as long as ever. Last, I, 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 I'm trying to like, I've got all these little weird rules in my life, right? Go on. That I've started putting in to, to make me a better comedian and a yeah. better human being in that every day I try to facilitate one piece of paid work. Okay. Right. That's a little thing that I try and do every day. It could be anything. Just do it. I try and do some exercise. I'm trying to drink so much water. There's all these. Like, what do you mean facilitate a bit of paid work for you? Book yourself a bit of paid work. Book myself one piece of paid okay. work on average once per day, then I'll be all right. I think as long as I'm working every day mm-hmm. and get paid every day, then I'll be great. So that's why I've got to do that. Mm-hmm. So if I book myself four gigs in a day, that's, that'll do me for four days. That's fine. Okay. Um, I, you know, actually have a spreadsheet, <laughs> like a mental spreadsheet. I tell my girlfriend I love her at least twice a day. Yeah. Because that makes me a better person and, that, and all these sorts of things. And one of the things was, I want to watch three hours of stand-up a week. Okay, and different people yes, videos. yes. And last, like, the week before last, I watched Tommy Tain and The Crooked Man and just fucking wept. Because mm-hmm. it's just so good, we will never, none of us will ever be as good as that one. <laughs> and sometimes you, you watch things like that and you just think, feel like giving up, so... What I did then is I downloaded Paddy McGuinness's DVD and uh, everything's <laughs> all right. <laughs> I think we should probably leave it there. Thank you so much, Thank Justin. Thank you, mate. I hope this is all right. Not it's great. Loads of bullshit. Mm-hmm.
So that was Justin. Thank you so much to him for uh, for scooping me up and uh, and taking me to his lovely house and uh, and being so open and honest with his answers and uh, and just such a nice guy. He's he's doing a show in Edinburgh, so don't miss that. Um, he I be I'll be totally honest in the admin whirlwind. I do not have any of those details in front of me, but come along and see Justin Morehouse. Just go. All I do is I just Google Ed Fringe. E-D-F-R-I-N-G-E, Ed Fringe, and then the name of whoever I want. You can do that too. It's sort of as fast as searching within the edfringe.com website. So uh, do that. Come and see Justin. And someone, I know I've tweeted this and I'll retweet it as well. Um, someone, one of you, has very kindly, was it Super Allen? I think uh, Twitter user at Super Allen, uh, A-L-L-A-N, if memory serves, um, made very kindly, like a, a sort of a floating web page. <laughs> Stu reveals how little he understands about the internet. Uh, he made uh, a web page which links to all of the previous ComCom guests who are doing shows at this festival this year. Uh, it links to all of them, so it's a clickable link. I will put that on the uh, the ComCom Pod Facebook group as well. So uh, if you're if you're active on social media, as they say, you can connect with that. It's a very useful resource. So thanks very much to at Super Allen, and let's hope I don't have to. Uh, record a retraction in the next episode saying no it was someone else and my head is spinning anyway that's enough for now thanks to justin morehouse thank you to nathan wood for uh, for his co-production of this episode and thanks to you for listening remember if you don't want to donate just share the episode with a friend give us a five star on itunes or whatever you need to do thanks for listening 